Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. We are back with the CIO strategy snapshot after a week off. A lot has happened over the past two weeks from additional economic data to the September FOMC meeting and the sharp rise in longer maturity interest rates. So joining us to discuss this all, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, good morning. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Dan. Uh, it's good to be back after uh, a couple weeks off. Glad to have you back, Jason, to continue the conversation, maybe as a good starting point to set the stage a bit. What has changed or not with the U.S. economic outlook over the past two weeks? It's interesting. You know, I was off for two weeks and you know, coming back and assessing the, you know, you know, the economic data, the market performance of the time predict of kind of a question I asked myself is like what's actually really changed from a market perspective and a fundamental economic perspective. On the economic perspective, I'd say uh, not that much. You know, the story that uh, you know going throughout the summer has been a U.S. economy that's been you know surprisingly resilient. In fact, you know, growth in the third quarter uh, is still tracking at around three percent based on you know data that we have through certainly through August and even some of the data that we would have now into you know, into early September uh, as that data is getting released. So the economic picture is still consistent with the U.S. economy that's that's doing you know quite well. Uh, we recently got uh, last week revisions on the second quarter uh, GDP numbers, but also uh, data going back a few years with a substantial revisions review done by the Bureau of Economic Analysis and, and the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics to you know, make sure their you know the data kind of reflects what was actually going on. Ideally, with more hindsight and more data to kind of fill in the picture in a more comprehensive manner. And what that data kind of you know suggested it was that. You know, the consumer that's been holding up quite well was actually in perhaps better shape than, you know, more real-time data would suggest in terms of their income, their savings rate, and therefore their ability to spend. Uh, and so the fact that we've seen the economy hold up well and consumer strength in the summer in particular being quite strong, it's not so surprising or at least less surprising when we see these kind of revisions. Like it's more consistent, like why this has been able to happen given some of the revisions of the data. Uh, so the growth story still is holding up quite well. We're now starting to get to September data. Uh, we got ISM manufacturing data uh, on, the, on October 2nd. That was still in contraction territory, but it's you know, been looks like it's sort of bottomed out now for about four or five months, been ticking a little bit higher. So the trend seems to be that manufacturing is probably you know, bottomed. It's starting to recovery. It may be a tepid recovery, but at least the kind of inventory, maybe excesses, any sort of imbalances have been sort of worked out of the system gradually over the past you know, roughly year. So that's a positive because you know, it's a, it's a you know, sizable sector of the economy, but also tends to be fairly interest rate sensitive along with housing. So the move higher in rates is going to have less of an impact, uh, all sequel given that the manufacturing has already kind of gone through its recession. So the growth story still looks intact in uh, for a recession being unlikely, at least in the next 12 months, you know, still consistent with a softish landing of that horizon. Uh, and then when you add to that, you know, the story on inflation still shows you know, kind of gradual you know, progress. The data that we got for August uh, PCE was, which was the, what the Fed really focused on in terms of inflation data, that was also showing a decline, especially in core inflation numbers. Uh, and if we take the last three months, the core PCE inflation measure, which is really the key measure that the Fed is focused on, are running at about 0.2% month over month. Uh, 
it's three months in a row we have that, which is annualizing to less than two and a half percent. So if, the, if you were to like look, put a criteria for what does the Fed need to see for it to stop hiking rates, that is kind of a key criteria. So the inflation story is improving, or it continues to, to move in the right direction. Growth is holding up. Um, so overall, from you know the past couple of weeks, the data is still consistent with a you know, this softest landing, no recession for the next 12 months. That story hasn't changed. So now that we have that backdrop, Jason, the big market development I want to single out over the past few weeks has been the rise in longer maturity rates with the 10-year and 30-year yields, both up over 60 basis points since the end of August. So that's been quite eye-opening. What has been driving the yields higher? Well, we already had a move higher in kind of the, from late July into August timeframe for for the 10-year and for the 30-year going up, even down to buy you know, you know, 30, 40 basis points. So it's been the story for the whole summer, for the third quarter, that we saw a move higher, particularly in those longer-end rates. If we kind of decompose what was driving the rates higher at different points in time, I see August, the move higher then, was really in the market accepting and buying into the soft landing, uh, and that as a result, we wouldn't get the kind of amount of rate cuts that the market was pricing for, even that's kind of starting late this year, but for you know, next year, 2024, and into 2025. So the first initial move higher in rates earlier in the summer was a reflection of a soft landing, the, the markets that are pricing that in doesn't need to have that kind of amount of rate cuts. Uh, if we then kind of go from the beginning of September, you know, the sizable move that you went to like a 60 basis points for the 10-year and the 30-year, it hasn't been driven by higher inflation expectations. Those have actually been holding steady throughout the summer. Uh, what it seems to be driven by more by is, uh, you know, essentially the market pricing in a greater risk premium for longer maturity bonds. So if you think about, you know, investors can have an option of buying a series of one-year treasury bills or two-year you know, treasury bonds, uh, and they continually rolling them over for multiple years, or they could buy a 10-year bond. Now, if you buy the 10-year bond, you have risk that you're taking on that over time, interest rates could rise or fall. But they could rise in a way that you would lose more money then is if you just kind of bought the two-year bond and kind of continually reinvested. So you should have some sort of compensation for it. You get a, you know, a risk premium for taking on that longer maturity. For a long period of time, that risk premium, certainly during the pre-pandemic you know, decade uh, and the early part of this recovery of, in, since the pandemic, it really is consistent with investors almost demanding no premium because they think ultimately you know, rates are going to stay low you know, for a long period of time. Now there's a lot of discussion in the marketplace, you know, the Fed will be higher for longer. And not only that, but you're seeing investors looking at the overall supply of you know, treasury bonds in the fiscal situation with large deficits and no signs that that deficit is going to come down significantly anytime soon. You have central banks that are no longer actively buying bonds in the way they did before. In fact, they're looking to shrink their balance sheets. So you have a, a situation where there's kind of more macro uncertainty, more uncertainty about the inflation story long term, and also more supply in the markets. So for investors to buy these longer duration bonds, they need to be kind of compensated for it. So what we're seeing in the marketplace is that sort of compensation is really kind of what's been driving the bonds higher. Now, some of this is sort of a technical story as well, because investors could buy different asset classes. So in order to buy bonds, they have to be compensated for that versus buying something else. And if they were getting very little essentially compensation for taking on that risk, well, now they're asking, actually asking for some of that compensation. So I think that's really the story that's been driving over the past you know, few weeks, the move higher we've seen in rates, that it's kind of pricing in a proper risk premium, and then there's uncertainty of just how long the Fed could stay. Uh, you keep hiking rates or you keep rates high, 
they're raising a little bit of reluctance of some investors to kind of step in and buy bonds at these current levels if they bought so earlier in the year, they've sort of been burned a little bit. Uh, so I think there's also a minor kind of buyers, buyers strike at this point in time, given uh, the move higher in rates. Investors are sort of waiting for things to kind of settle down for the Fed to clearly be done before I think you start to see you know, the move in rates, um, uh, instead of going higher, start to go lower again. So, Jason, just assessing financial markets overall, the activity we've seen recently, how are financial markets reflecting these moves in rates as well as the economic data? Well, just continuing on the rates point, uh, is not you know indicating at all concerns about a recession. Uh, if the bond market and investors really thought a recession was coming, you wouldn't see a 10-year go up 60 basis points to close to 4.7%. You'd see down around 3.7%, anticipating the Fed's going to have to start cutting rates you know, soon and fairly aggressively. So despite the thought or the fear that higher rates are going to lead to recession, that's not what the bond market is saying right now, that it's still very much kind of pricing in the you know, a softish landing scenario. Uh, it's really not a, you know, not a deep recession in the imminent future. Then if you look at equities, it's had a you know, decent pullback in the month of September, the S&P down almost you know, 5%. Some of that, again, is, I think just reflecting the, uh, you know, the implications of higher rates. You know, higher you know, treasury yields all is equal. It means lower valuations for all their asset classes because you're just discounting at a higher rate. It means the valuations of future earnings and cash flows and dividends for equities, you know, has a lower valuation. So some of that is what's going on, you know, with equities. Uh, we've also seen, I think, this kind of the, you know, the, the bit of a dueling headwinds, as I would call them, between these forces of higher rates and the, the implications across different sectors and styles with also kind of real zealing growth. So if we look at market performance over the last, you know, say month or so, you've seen, depending on like the week you're looking at, outperformance of value stocks versus growth, you know, because growth will be more sensitive to higher rates. But then also times where if the market's a little bit concerned about the consequences of higher rates on economic activity, that's been more negatively impacting the more economically sensitive sectors, you know, whether it's value or things like some, you know, smaller cap stocks. So it's a bit of a muddled picture overall when you look at the market performance, reflecting these kind of competing forces, some of which would be a challenge for equities in certain areas in particular. Other parts that are suggesting no equities have this support of an economy that's holding up quite well and still trending towards a soft landing. Uh, and we reflect, we see that more clearly if you look at other asset classes like you know, the U.S. dollar, which is benefiting by both higher rates and a U.S. economy that, look, that is looking like it's outperforming the rest of the world. So you can see why the dollar is strengthened in that backdrop for the past, you know, at least a couple of months. Uh, and then, you know, higher oil prices, reflecting more of the micro fundamentals of the oil market, that kind of adds just uncertainty because it means all sequel higher inflation. It complicates a little bit of the Fed's challenge in terms of trying to bring inflation down. It is a tax on consumers, so it you know, challenges the, the soft line narrative. So that's another sort of factor to kind of add it all in. So you're seeing the markets across different asset classes reflect now, you know, higher rates, but also higher economic or, or solid economic fundamentals, but uncertainty still about how these different forces will play out over time. So it's a little bit of uh, low conviction, I would say, among you know, different types of investors in terms of how the whole overall macro environment will play out, despite the fact that, you know, the bias is still believing to believe that a soft landing is the most likely scenario. To that point, Jason, what are you recommending that investors do at this time? Well, I think the market overall, or the markets overall, I think will still continue to be kind of buffeted by these various macro cost currents, at least for the time being. Uh, and so that means kind of range-bound kind of equity markets overall. Uh, so to some of the things that we kind of like in this environment, then, 
is uh, you know, still take high quality bonds over equities. You know, quality bonds or, or for fixed income in general is our most preferred asset class, whereas we're neutral on equities. Uh, so we're not negative on equities, but in an environment where I think we're going to see equities going to chop around, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of potential volatility with you know relatively modest returns to certainly through year end, but even over the next roughly you know, six, nine to twelve months that that time horizon, you know, positive. But if you look at bond returns, where now you can buy a ten-year Treasury that's given you roughly, let's say, four point seven percent, and we think ultimately when the Fed, once the Fed is done, that the bias is then toward having yields drift lower, and that could be the case uh, as soon as in four weeks from next FOMC meeting on November second. The Fed hikes; it's you know the market will interpret it as probably the last hike. If they don't hike, they'll interpret it as the Fed being done. Either way, that provides a bias, and for investors thinking. All right, we have more clarity on what the Fed's going to do. Rates are unlikely to rise higher. Now I'm willing to kind of add to positions, add exposure to duration, given that we don't think rates are going to go higher. That should push, you know, rates lower, which means from a total return perspective, higher quality fixed income at these levels has both now income, but also total return, you know, perspective, which is why we, you know, one of our key messages by quality bonds still is very much as the case. On the equity front, it's a bit of a, you know, balancing the fact that in the softish landing, we think there's laggards in the market that will continue or have an opportunity to kind of catch up. You know, so we still think that's a good way to be positioned, to, to look for those parts of the market that have lagged this year. Uh, and one thing that we've liked is an equal-weighted S&P 500 index. Uh, recently, uh, its year-to-date performance is basically flat after kind of pulling back in the month of September, which still means that it's you know, underperformed relative to at least these large seven sort of, you know, mega-cap tech stocks. So we think there's opportunities there. Same time, in an environment where there's uncertainty, uh, especially about the macro environment and maybe lower conviction about just the magnitude of a soft landing or a cyclical recovery, areas in sort of the growth space, uh, you know, provide opportunities for investors to kind of position more for the longer term. So one of our key messages is you know, to pick leaders in disruption. So these are, you know, those that would have not just kind of the exposure, say, to AI, but other areas of disruption, including in, uh, you know, kind of sustainable green energy, uh, you know, things of that sort. So I think those are some of the key messages. And then the final one is just to you know, manage liquidity exposure. We are in an environment where we think rates are you know, short and rates are peaking. And the fact that the two years only moved about 20 basis points is indicative of that. So the bias is more for those rates likely to go lower rather than higher. And they don't give you the same total return perspective that longer duration bonds should have. So the buy quality bonds and sort of manage liquidity, if you think about it, fixed income overall, the guidance has think of it as a kind of a barbell strategy where you get both, you know, safe income at the front end of the curve, but also total return and you know, portfolio hedging if you buy longer duration. And the yield differential has now actually shrunk to about only about 40 or 50 basis points after they move higher in the past month for the 10 years or 30 years. So it's a, it's a good way to kind of combine your, your fixed income portfolio to give you income and portfolio diversification and total return perspective. Well, Jason, it's great to have you back to make sense of the macro, the market environment, and importantly, provide some guidance when it comes to positioning. So thank you, Jason, for dropping by today, spending some time with our listeners, our clients, bringing them up to speed on recent developments. And we do look forward to continuing the conversation again with you next week. You're welcome. Have a good week. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office from UBS Studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.